Before we get started with everything, I wanted to make sure that you aren't missing out on all the dastardly delights that we have to offer. Scary Stories Told in the Dark is but one of many shows you could be listening to. Don't miss the upcoming episode of the Eric Peabody-hosted Horror Hill. Be sure to uh, also not miss Drew Blood, Dark Tales, Fear from the Heartland, hosted by Paul J. McSorley, or the eponymous Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. You can find all of these on YouTube and the podcast platform of your choice, or you can get ad-free versions by subscribing at the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights website. Thank you again, dear listeners, for staying as spooky as you do. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre. And I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 12, Episode 13. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Jeff Provine. Tonight we'll hear stories of concerned canines, wondrous watermelons, reluctant retirement, storied sea monsters. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Moving to a new house happens all the time. And considering the last few episodes, it happens quite frequently on this program as well. 
Sometimes it's not a ghost or memories of the past that haunt a place. Maybe it's just as simple as a dog not being used to the place. Or maybe the dog knows a little more what's going on than anyone else does. Without further ado, I present to you, Good Dog. When we bought our new place, we never thought to get the dog's opinion. Now we know better. Our mud buddy didn't arrive until the day after we'd unloaded boxes and furniture from the moving van. I was still working in the house when my wife pulled up in the suburban with him and our two-year-old from spending the night at my in-laws. Buddy had his nose out the window, practically gulping the air as he tried to bring in every smell at once. When they stopped, I popped open the door to let him run while my wife handled digging Shannon out of the car seat. Buddy jumped past the door, ran a circle around me, and then fell to sniffing the ground in wider and wider loops. I laughed. I think he likes it. All we could think of was that Buddy would like it. A big farmhouse with two acres for him to run around, chase squirrels, and sun himself. He and Shannon would also make many memories together. We should probably keep an eye on him until he figures out the property line, my wife warned. I nodded and went after him. Buddy had circled already around the house, heading toward the muddy pond out back. When I spotted him, he was standing stiff with his ears perked, one front paw sticking up, and his eyes squinting at the old shed the realtor called the granary. Come on, Buddy, I called. Buddy's ears flinched. I knew he heard me, but he didn't look up. I jogged over to him. Hey, come on. Buddy ducked as if I were going to hit him. He looked up at me with a worried expression. Easy, Buddy, I said in as soothing a voice as I could. Let's go in the house. We're celebrating with special dinner tonight. Buddy didn't move until I put my hand on his back and pushed him toward the house. His whole body was tense. He resisted for a moment, staring back toward the granary and the pond before he started to follow. We spent the afternoon unpacking. Buddy stood next to the glass sliding door in the back of the dining room. Several times he started whining, but if I tried to let him out to potty, he'd just stand on the back porch and growl at the shed. I didn't know what his fascination with the musty building could have been. It was empty as far as I knew. The inspectors hadn't spent too much time in there, but they gave it an all clear. No termites, no possums underneath Really nothing living in it at all. The grass didn't even grow close, leaving a big yellow-gray ring of dirt all the way around with only a few sickly brown blades poking through. That night, Buddy didn't eat much of his dinner. He didn't even come lick up the scraps Shannon dropped from her high chair. He just stood at the back door. Once the sun went down, he started barking, and he didn't stop for more than a few minutes until dawn. It was awful. I hadn't been that tired since Shannon was born. He's not used to all the nocturnal creatures out there, my wife guessed. Skunks, coyotes, you know. Once we get settled, he'll sleep better. We had coffee on the back porch that morning. Shannon was running up and down the backyard with my wife's old volleyball we found in a box. Buddy sat on the edge of the porch, leaning halfway over from exhaustion, but still staring. Then Shannon's ball rolled toward the old shed, and she waddled after it. That was the first time Buddy went nuts. He'd never bitten Shannon before. In fact, I'm not even sure he bit her then. Just scared her. She was rollicking toward the line of gray dirt, kicking the ball as she tried to pick it up. Buddy jerked to attention, jumping up on all four legs with his tail out straight. As soon as Shannon came into the ball patch of ground near the shed, He shot off the porch and flew like lightning across the yard. He barked so loud and fast that it was one yammering wail. His reaction was so sudden that I jumped too, spilling coffee all down my jeans, even though I'd been watching the whole thing. Shannon turned and froze with her muddy hands in the air, but he was going so fast that he dashed past her and didn't stop until he slammed into the dusty wooden walls. The whole shed shook 
I heard Buddy yelp and the timbers groan. There was something else, like a hiss. Before I could even think about it, Buddy had turned around and latched his jaws onto the tail of Shannon's shirt. He growled and pulled Shannon to the ground, somehow dragging her two or three yards before my wife caught up to them. As soon as she was there, Buddy let go. Shannon was screaming and crying. Buddy just kept barking and running circles around him. My wife carried Shannon inside to get cleaned up and calmed down. I grabbed Buddy by the collar and I tried to yell at him. He just kept looking past me at the old shed. His heart was pounding so hard in his neck I could feel it against my hand. We started tying Buddy up in front of the house where he couldn't see the shed. But he slipped out of his collar any time we put it on him. We even tried to harness, but he managed to chew through the cord. He couldn't bark with his mouth full, so that at least kept him quiet for a few hours at night. Then, as soon as he was free, he ran to the back and filled the air with furious barking. It went on like this for days. Buddy's hair turned to mange. I don't know that I ever saw him sleep more than a few minutes at a time. He ate, but only a few bites at a time. Maybe he's sick, my wife suggested. It was as good of an idea as any. I put him in the back of the Suburban, where he scratched the door until we were about a mile away. He flopped down and fell fast asleep. The vet said Buddy was obviously losing weight, but otherwise healthy. It's likely hypertension from the move, she recommended, and she sent me home with some prescribed tranquilizers to put in his food. That night, Buddy finally slept, although he was the only one in the house who did. Shannon woke us with a fit of night terrors so bad she wouldn't lie down again no matter what we did. I ended up taking her for a drive, too, which finally put her to sleep. That morning, when we got home, Buddy was at the door. He licked Shannon and sat close to her, not letting her out of his sight. Even when I poured breakfast into his bowl, he wouldn't look at it. Buddy wouldn't eat his dinner, either. I showed him the can, beef stew, his favorite, I supposed, uh, from how fast he usually gobbled it down, though he had never been picky. That night he sniffed it and looked up at me with an expression like he'd been stabbed in the heart. Think it's the tranquilizers, I asked my wife. The vet said they could be bitter. Well, maybe, she said, although I'm so tired. I wouldn't mind taking a few myself if he doesn't want them. When we ate, I slipped Buddy's scraps under the table out of guilt. He gobbled them down before my wife could even notice. Then he took up his vigil at the back door. Maybe it's something with the granary, I mumbled. Oh, what about it? It's like Buddy hates it or something. My wife shrugged, trying to slip a little more food to Shannon, before she fell asleep in her chair. I've always hated it. I didn't even want to buy the place after I first saw it. We hadn't gotten such a good offer from the bank. Well, what's the matter with it? It's just an old wooden outbuilding. I figured it'd be handy for storing Christmas decorations. I didn't know that I want any of our decorations in there, my wife said. She put down Shannon, Spoon. It's just so ugly it hurts my eyes to look at it. I snorted a laugh. <laughs> really? She nodded. She wasn't laughing. Maybe we could tear it down. I always thought we would, I nodded. First thing in the morning. After another night of growling and barking that didn't end until the sun came over the tree line, but he was lying on the porch when I came out that morning. He was panting with long, slow breaths, exhausted like we'd been just out on a run. I patted him on the side with one hand. My other hand had my grandfather's big claw hammer. It would make short work of that shit. As I hopped off the porch, Buddy popped up. His ears were perked. Don't worry, I called back to him, sing song. I'll take care of it. After I took only a few more steps toward the shed, Buddy went nuts again. He was off the porch and running ahead of me. He stopped so suddenly that I tripped over him. I sidestepped around him, but he ran up and stopped in front of me again. It became a dance with him constantly getting in my way. All the while, he barked and whined so much she was frothing at the mouth. Get out of here, buddy, I shouted at him. He wouldn't. 
only got worse, first jumping on me, then nipping my jeans, until finally I stopped. He barked a few more times, then settled into growling. I took him inside the house with me and sat on the living room floor at the front of the house. I patted his head and told him everything was going to be all right for several minutes until he calmed down. Then I got up. He tried to follow, but I shut the back door directly behind me. He pawed at the glass and whined. His eyes were wide and shaking, and he started in on another barking tirade. Dumb dog, I muttered as I went into the shed. It was quiet there, as if the whole world outside was somehow miles away, and it was ice cold, even though it was still morning, there seemed to be a chilling breeze inside. It puffed up only a few times, stirring up bits of scrap paper and shuffling them around in hand-cut stone bricks that served as a foundation. They were arranged in concentric circles, leading to a black heart-shaped stone in the middle. The realtor had said that was so the farmers knew where to park the wagon for loading up grain from the stalls on the sides. Those stalls all sat empty now, except for scrap wood and piles of gray dirt, and the realtor refused to do more than poke his head in. I shivered. I tried to take a deep breath to calm myself, but a foul taste in the cold air made me cough. It was a nasty, hacking cough that didn't stop until I spat. Well, let's work from the outside first, I told myself. We'll do the edges and work our way in. More sunlight that way. At the back doorway, I drove the hammer's claw deep behind the board and pulled. The board came free so fast, I fell backwards. It was a hard blow against my back from the ground when I hit, and a sharp pain in my leg from the board. It had flipped around, and one of the rusty nails somehow drove itself into my skin. I grabbed the board and pulled it free, swearing with language I hadn't used since Shannon was born. With a final string of expletives, I hurled the board back into the shed. The wound wasn't deep, though it would add another ruddy stain to my work jeans. I thought about giving it up. But I suddenly wanted that shed gone more than anything. When I finished checking my leg and turned back to the shed, I saw something in the gap where I'd pulled the board loose. It was a rope of darkness, something blacker than even the black-brown shadow behind the boards. The thing slithered out, staying away from the sun as it reached back inside the shed to where I'd thrown the board. There it wrapped the board and pulled it back up to the gap. The shed moaned and wheezed, as the board worked itself back into place. What the... I asked the universe without any word foul enough to describe it. My hair was on end while a voice like my conscience screamed in the back of my mind to run. But I had to get another look. I crept back toward the doorway, never quite standing up. The hammer was tight in my hand. I stopped at the threshold. The shed groaned like it was settling in the wind, even though the air outside was... I saw something pale glint in the shadows, tucked up high past the rafters. It looked like an eye staring at me, one single eye with a slit of a pupil. It's, it's a mirage, I told myself. The shadows in the floor were getting thicker. Dust rolled like something unseen was pushing past. I felt something brush up against my leg. I jumped, but my leg wouldn't move, stuck to the stone floor. With a scream, I started swinging my hammer in every direction. It bumped against the doorframe, and the shed let out another groan. Then more glints came from the shadows, sharp and angled like teeth in a deformed mouth, pointing towards something impossibly dark between them. A cold blast of air struck me, and the teeth moved closer. Then I heard glass shatter. But his barking became instantly louder. There was a sharp whine, and then he went back to barking. I could hear his feet pounding against the yard toward me. The eye in the rafters blinked, the shed hissed, and the teeth shrank back. Buddy burst into the cold granary, knocking me out of the doorway onto my back in the gray dirt. Blood streaked his fur where he'd been cut breaking through the glass door. He barked so loud it made my ears ring. The glints in the shadows vanished back into the gloom. It was silent in the shed now set for Buddy's long, deep growls. We burned the shed that afternoon. My wife had patched up our scratches well enough. 
She said I should get a tetanus shot after getting hit with a loose nail, which was all I wanted to explain about uh, the, that happened that morning. I told her I would as soon as the shed was gone. I had to use a hefty amount of gasoline to get the fire going, despite the walls being dry, dead wood. Once the fire took, though, the shed burned fast with flames that roared. Buddy and I sat in the backyard watching the bonfire until the last embers went out. I rubbed his ears and told him, Good dog, buddy. He looked up at me with eyes that had no judgment, only gladness. We all slept well that night. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I hope you enjoyed Good Dog by Jeff Provine as performed by yours too. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash provine. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash P-R-O-V-I-N-E. Not only can you find out more about his interests in local folklore, I would remind you as well that he has features in numerous books, including the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Anthology, Volume 1, available now on Amazon. If you do decide to stop by the profile, Please, leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Never ignore the dog. Now, I may be a cat person myself, but whenever you notice a canine losing its mind staring at a shed, you know that it knows something's up. My shed is a dog magnet, though any that wander in never ever seem to wander out. So strange. But perhaps something a little more rustic is up your alley. Well, allow me to take you back to the past. The past beyond our lifetimes, but not as far back as you might think. It's a small town, cozy, friendly, with a strange bearded weirdo up in the woods. The question is, though, how does his produce manage to be so utterly delicious? Of course, learning his recipe might not be a secret he would share lightly. Without further ado, I present to you The Witch Outside Milan. Jasper Halters always grows the biggest watermelons, and I aim to find out how he does it. Tim Washington announced to all of the old-timers hanging around the cold, pot-bellied stove at the Wilkins General Store. The words had been festering in his stomach for weeks, and now they'd suddenly erupted like a belch. Tim wasn't entirely certain he had said them. It had been a low point in the conversation between the men talking about their crops and the weather. 
Nancy Gates, and said watermelons were bountiful this year. Everyone agreed with murmurs. Corby Tolson muttered that such a healthy crop meant they weren't going to sell their crops for more than a nickel apiece. Again, they murmured agreement. Then it was quiet enough that Tim spat up the idea that had been haunting him for weeks. No one said anything. The old men, their hair shining gray against the dark skin, traded looks with one another. Ralph Johnson tapped his cane against the rough-hewn floorboards that had gradually been polished smooth by thousand footfalls of leather-soled shoes. Tim felt a lump grow in his throat. It was one of the few times he'd ever spoken up among the council of elders that held court every afternoon in his space, around the stove that slept quietly in the heat of August. Amid the smells of peppermint sticks and cedar crates, the men swapped the same stories over repeated games of checkers. These were good days, and the men were happy to do it all over again tomorrow. Tim was 19, that magical age coming into manhood, where he could sit with the men and listen with confidence to what they said. The elders were all in their 50s and 60s. Elias Young, ironically, the oldest among them at 78. Even though Tim may have been old enough to be allowed to speak, he usually knew well enough to listen more than speak. These men held wisdom in their brains and their hearts. They knew hard work and the joy of being with a woman of 40 years, watching their offspring grow up to have offspring of their own. They'd known slavery. They had seen liberation come on the backs of blue-coated soldiers. Men had seen poverty and the ravages of war. They'd seen the boom when the train came through town, giving Little Milan its own Grand Pacific Hotel and even a newspaper. Now their old eyes rested on Tim, the young man shifted on the stool where he sat. His shirt felt too tight. Finally, Corby Tolson cleared his throat with a guttural cough. Without looking up from the patch of floor where he stared, he warned in a deep voice, Let old Jasper alone. A round of approving murmurs croaked from the others. Tim shifted again, this time sitting forward. He cleared his own throat and forced his voice to avoid any squeak of youth. I don't plan on bothering him any. Just strikes me as strange how a man can grow watermelons like that. Alter's a strange man, that's how. Yancey Gates said. Gregory Maddy agreed with a long whistle. He sure is. I remember him being an old man back when I was still being carried my mama's back. Elias Young piped up from his low-slung rocking chair. Was a seat of honor in the room, always granted to the oldest man. I remember, Young said, his voice wavering. I remember him having his long gray beard even before I had a whisker on my chin. And how old is Jasper Halters? Tim asked. The old man mumbled, No one knew. Tim shook his head. I don't see how anybody could be that old. Told you, he's a strange one, Nancy Gates said. He gets up to strange things up on that hill of his. Tim shivered. Alters lived all alone a few miles out of town on a hilltop, so covered in thick trees that his house couldn't be seen. Been up there since anyone could remember, yet no one seemed to know anything about him. What kind of strange things, Tim asked. Gregory Matty made a dramatic shrug. No one cares to find out. Folks around him say they hear noises, though. Beating drums and screams and things that they didn't know what to call. Animals won't go anywhere near that hill. Yance Gates added, his voice low and serious. When the breeze comes up and blows over those farms downwind, all the cats take off and the dogs start howling. Cattle and pigs set the wailing and ramming themselves against the fence. Oaks have to bring them inside. Something about the smell of that place. Is that what makes them so scrawny? Ralph Johnson piped up. Are the pigs or the people? <laughs> Both, I reckon. Nancy gave a shrug of his own. I suppose it could be. They never seem as plump as the ones from 
across the creek on slaughtering day. I know plenty of folk who wouldn't take bacon from them even if you paid them to do it. Folks say it makes you sick. I don't even know how people out that way can stand it. Tim squinted so hard his eyes were nearly shut. The man on the hill was a mystery, and not just for watermelons. What could do such a thing? Aunts, Gregory Maddie said quickly. They say it's all haunted up that way by the Indians, who General Jackson made at a west. Ralph Johnson held his cane to his forehead and gave a cry. Don't even talk about all that haunting business. Haunts, ha! Nancy Gates puffed out his chest, crossed his arms over it. There's an explanation for it all, to be sure. He's brewing moonshine up there, and all that bad air from the still is driving the animals wild. Tim felt himself nodding. It was a rational explanation. Something tangible, something he could get his mind around. No, sir, Elias Young called. All of the men turned to their elder. Elias stared out past Tim's shoulder as if peering through the wall behind him. His eyes, dim with age, were wide. Jasper Halters is a witch. Tim sat straight up. All the other men winced. Ralph Johnson squeezed his hands around his cane so tight it whined. Elias kept staring. Tim's neck was prickling as the hairs all stood up. He scratched at him until he calmed down. He'd seen a witch on the card his uncle Robert had sent from Chicago, the fall before, with a long letter about finally finding work there. The witch was cackling, wishing them all a happy Halloween. She was a wild old woman, green skin and a pointy hat, flying around on a broomstick. City folks had some odd ideas about what to do with their time. Jasper Halters didn't look a thing like that. Tim had seen him last year at the Harvest Festival. One of two times a year he came into town. He wore a long, dusty black coat and had a beard that went past down his waist. His bald head was capped in a leather hat with a wide brim. The strangest of all were his eyes. Everyone avoided his gaze. Every year on the morning of the fair, Alders came into town with his pushcart loaded with watermelons so big they took two men to unload them. They were enormous, bulging and round, with a firm rind and dark red supple fruit. Two years back, the judges had to get a saw to cut into the winning melon. When they finally got into it, they couldn't stop eating. Finally, Mina Katz demanded they be fair and try out the other melons. A shrill cry seemed to snap them out of their dream. They sat stupid for a minute, red juice running down their chins. Halters barely said much. All he did was collect his winnings, go to the general store, to put it all in orders for the spring, and then push his cart back up to his hill. No one would see him again until the snow melted. Then he'd come to collect his order, gross baby chicks. They screamed as he took the crate full of them home. Those weren't the quick, questioning chirps Tim was used to chicks giving. They were long, fearful shrieks. Tim remembered that. He shuddered. Oh, don't go filling the boy's head with witches and nonsense, Yancey Gates said. Nonsense, Elias Young declared. The other men turned to Yancey in shock. Yancey Gates gritted his teeth and spread his lips. Well, I just mean that these days and times? Elias leaned forward. His rocking chair made a soft groan against the floorboards. Need I remind you I was there for the bell witch? Tim felt his eyes go wide. Oh, no. I got somewhere to be, Ralph Johnson said. Stabbed his cane against the floor with a thud, began to pull himself up. You keep sitting, Elias Young said. I am to tell this story as a warning to all of you. Nancy Gates, you listen up especially. Witches are real and they come in many forms. Tim suddenly felt cold. He held his hands tight. It was just a little more than seventy years ago, Elias began. 
I was just a little sniper back then, and we were part of John Bell's big farm up in Robertson County. They had me as a kitchen boy, helping stirring kettles and fetching wood. It all started with strange sounds, maybe like sounds up on Halter's Hill. I heard them, hatchets, but no one would ever be there. It was just pitch black out. Night after night, they beating came back louder and longer. Then it moved inside. First, it scratched at the bedposts, then it began pulling quilts off people. Poor Miss Betsy, just a few years older than me. She became the target of the witch's attention, hitting her and grabbing her hair and leaving big old welts. She was even meaner to us, slaves, kicking us, throwing us down. God, so that most of us go near the house. Eventually, the witch learned to talk. The voice was a whisper at first, but by and by, we could make out her voice singing foul hymns. John Bell said it was all our imaginations, and he didn't want anybody talking about it. She got him, gradually, poisoning his mind and his body, stealing his shoes and tripping him up. Old Jack Bell, she called him. She laughed and sang all through his funeral. And gradually, as she came, she was gone. Elias finished the story and settled back into his chair. He groaned again, and the only sound was stunned silence. All the men were looking at the floor. Tim was the first to take in a breath and speak. So the witch was a ghost? Elias rocked a little and shrugged. Spare her some kind, anyhow. I was traded to a man here in Gibson County, not too much after. But they say she came back once or twice. Why'd the witch come back? Tim asked. What made it all start? What did she have against John Bell? The rocking chair stopped. Elias shook a finger at Tim. Say, boy, those are the questions you don't need to be asking. Just let those things lie. Tim pressed his lips closed tight. He knew he should stop speaking, but he couldn't do it. There was too much mystery, too much curiosity. He stood up. The stool yelped as his legs pushed it back against the wall. Hold up there, Tim, Corby Tolson called. Where are you off to? I should probably get home and help out with the chores, Tim said. It'll be evening soon enough. Ralph Johnson wrung his cane in his hands. You're not going up to that hill, are you? Tim pulled his lips into his mouth and didn't answer. There you go. Nancy Gates threw his hands into the air. In his head with stories of witchcraft. What can you expect? George Maddy just shook his head. You shouldn't be doing that. Tim stood still. He faced the man, but he couldn't speak. They all looked up at him for a long moment. Finally, Tim said, I have to. Maddie, Tolson, Gates, and Johnson let out a chorus of groans and sighs. Barbie Tolson and Jens Gates went quiet and stared at each other. Gregory Maddie turned his sigh into a disappointed whistle. Ralph Johnson mumbled a prayer. Tim stood strong, his fists clenched. Come here, boy, Elias Young called. Tim felt his heart leap up into his chest. He stood frozen. Elias didn't call him again. The old man just sat in his chair and rocked. Tim turned his eyes toward the door. He was practically an adult now, a man of his own will. He could walk out right now if he wanted. They might boot after him. There was nothing they could do. Still, they were his elders. Tim looked away from the door and approached Elias. His boots padded softly, but the sound rang in his ears like thunder. When Tim came close, Elias began. I could sit here and threaten you with all kinds of stories about what might happen to you if you go up there. I could even say I would tell your ma. She'd whip your hide. 
Cigar twice size. Maybe I even get out of this chair and whoop you myself. But I won't. You know why? Tim swallowed to make sure he wouldn't stammer. Uh, no, sir. Because it won't do a lick of good. Elias said, You're a young man, and you got the strength, well, to do as you feel is right. You were born emancipated, and I know that you're going to go after halters, no matter what we do. Tim blinked at the old man. Elias stuck his bony hand into his pocket. After a moment of shifting, he brought a dime and held it between his thumb and forefinger. I'm going to give you something. A dime? It's not for you. That's for Job Wilkins. Elias leaned back and called out. Wilkins! Give Timmy here some of that stuff you keep in your third jar and write. Job Wilkins, the store owner, had been sitting behind the counter the entire time, reading a copy of the Milan Exchange. He'd heard all the stories before still kept the chairs clean, and, in winter, the stove warm for the old men. He stood up without a word and rummaged through his herbs. Elias took Tim by the wrist with one hand, and firmly put the dime into his palm with the other. Go pay for that. Tim blinked again. Without a word, he obeyed and traded the coin in for a little bundle of dried green leaves. It smelled savory, almost peppery. Sage? he asked. Sage, Elias replied. When that witch was around Bell's house, we tucked it in our pockets whenever we could find some. It helped keep her away. White folks wouldn't have any part of it, but they should have. Tim looked at the leaves for a moment and then folded them into his pocket. Uh, thank you, sir. Elias gave a trio of little nods. His lips were pushed out, as if he approved, but there were no words for it. No one said anything. Tim lowered his head and walked out of the general store. It was nearly noon. The cool of the night had already burned away hours before, and everyone got out of the sun-battered fields and into the shade. Tim crossed the empty, dusty streets and took the old hill road that went out southeast to the farms across the creek. There were a few bare patches where hard work had cleared the trees, but most of it was covered in the dense green of the forest. Somewhere under that canopy was Jasper Halter's cabin. Tim thought he smelled something in the air. He wondered if it were really there or if it was... Words of the old man playing tricks on his mind. Either way, he cupped a hand over his nose and continued his march. Plants seemed to thin out as he passed the poor farms at the foot of the hill and began to walk up the overgrown trail that Jasper Halters used twice a year. There were only a few scrubby weeds to make up the underbrush, sickly and yellow when they should have been at their best in the peak of summer. Trees looked skeletal, stretching high, Long, reaching branches, half of which were dead and bare. Something crossed the trail in front of him. It trotted out from behind one of the trees, on tall, thin legs like a greyhound. Its body was lean and strong, but its head was small and round like a rabbit without its ears. The creature stopped and looked at Tim. Tim gawked back at it. Never seen anything like it before in his life. What are you? Creature shrank back and jumped sideways. Its long legs threw it into a floppy run, kicking up dead leaves and snapping twigs. Skittering sounds lasted only a minute before it was gone, yet it rang long after in Tim's ears. Tim's heart pounded inside his chest. He panted in the air, which was strangely cool. It had a taste to it, something almost like the sweet rot of vegetable scraps. Clamped his mouth shut and rolled his tongue on his teeth to get rid of the taste. After a moment of breathing the foul air through his nostrils, he got back on the trail. He turned to pebbles and bare dust as the grass thinned out. Soon he rounded the edge of the hilltop, and the sky opened up on the clearing that held Jasper Halter's cabin. He had no gate, 
with any normal animal unwilling to come near the place, it was no wonder. Instead, it was a simple log house nestled far from the edge of the tree line. There were no windows, just a heavy door. The old pushcart rested upside down along the wall. Some grass grew here and there, but most of the land was rocky and bare. Tim bit his lip. He wasn't about to walk straight up to Jasper Halter's front door and knock. He wanted to find the watermelons. Tim left the trail and slipped between the thin trees and ringed the cabin. He walked softly, counting to two or three between each step. Still, his boots crunched every time they touched the ground, breaking pebbles and breaking casings of nuts. He wasn't sure how long it took him to creep to the far side, but he at last found the garden. It was carefully tilled, rich brown soil. No weeds seemed to grow at all among the straight, tight rows. Green tomatoes and bushes of spinach. Then there were several plants growing that Tim couldn't recognize at all. At the end of the garden, there stood six hills of watermelons, already huge. The vines were laid carefully over little wooden bowls. Tim felt his jaw drop open. He'd helped his parents grow watermelons since the time he could walk. He watered them, not too much where they'd burst, he'd been warned, weeded them, and spread fertilizer. Even with all that, his watermelons were nothing compared to the enormous beauties, growing in the soft sunlight, peeking around the edge of the thinly leafed branches. Tim blinked and looked up at the trees. They all looked just about dead. Everything outside of Jasper's patch was sickly. The air stank of spoiled milk. The huge door to the cabin swung open, letting out a dull moan on its wooden hinges. Tim ducked low behind the tree next to him and slid out only far enough to let the edge of his vision go past the mold-speckled trunk. Jasper Halter strode out of the house, wearing his long coat under his waist-length beard and wide-brimmed hat. He was African, like Tim, something else about him. His fingers seemed too long to be the hands of a man, and his nose was pointed. Tim couldn't see them right now, but what he remembered most vividly was Jasper's eyes. There was too much color to them, practically no white at all. It was like looking into the eyes of a dog. Halters walked across the barren yard to a low stone roof covering a cellar. As it came close, a cacophony of shrieks rang out. Tim felt his blood run cold. With his long-fingered hand, Alters pulled open a heavy wooden door that lay at an uneven angle. The shrieks grew louder. Alters went inside, and everything went quiet. Tim noticed he wasn't breathing. He clapped a hand to his throat and rubbed it until his windpipe seemed to open up again. The air was tangy and burned his lungs. Alters climbed out of the cellar with one hand wrapped around a chicken's legs. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. It hung limp, even though the eyes were rolling wildly in its head. Alters clicked his tongue and sang a low, short song that repeated itself over and over again. Tim thought he had heard the words among the noise, but he wasn't sure. Alders closed the cellar up, still clicking and singing. He walked with long strides up to the garden. A short stump rested at the edge of the watermelon patch. 
There he laid out the petrified animal. He bent low and collected a rusty hatchet. With a quick swing, the chicken's head fell free. Tim had seen many chickens meet their ends. It was just part of making dinner. Yet he had never seen it happen without a single drop of blood spilling. He felt the hairs on the back of his neck stand tall again. The old man with the long beard went to the first bowl and the first watermelon hill. Squatting, he lowered the chicken's neck over the bowl and groomed. Now you go. The blood spilled out. Altars seemed to speak to the vine. The old man's words came out slow and round in an accent Tim didn't know. A dull thud sounded, then another. The watermelon seemed to pulse, growing slightly larger with each beat that echoed like a drum. Leaves and vines seemed to wriggle and creep, pulling themselves deep into the bowl of blood. Altars stood up and moved to the next bowl. Tim was shaking. He was afraid, of course. The old man on the hill really was a witch. World magic was the way he grew his melons. The whole hilltop was tainted with his wicked power. Yet it wasn't fear that made him shake. It was kind of a righteous anger. He had felt it before, just a time or two, when he had seen true injustice. It was there the time he watched an old white man strike his sister. Even as a boy, he knew he'd get a lashing for it. He had to fight with his own little fists. Now Tim was furious that Halters was cheating them all at the annual watermelon contest. He hated that the land suffered all around the hill. He hated the fear Halters put in those chickens and to everyone in town. Halters was an affront to God and nature. Tim had to put an end to it. The hatchet stood beside the chicken's head on a stump. Its blade dug deeply into the wood. Tim crept forward, moving his feet so softly that even he couldn't hear the sound of his footsteps over Halter's spells. Tim's hand reached for the hatchet. The chicken's eyes were rolling in the disembodied head. Just as his fingers touched the wooden handle, the eyes spun fast and latched onto Tim. They stared with horror. Silent shrieks seeming to come from the chicken's open mouth. Tim sucked in a sharp gasp of terror. Alders jumped and dropped the chicken in his hands. He spun around with both hands raised like cat's claws. Tim grabbed the hatchet with both hands and held it steady. My, oh my, oh my. Alders' voice rang. The words were slow and calm. Tim's vision went dim as he stood up too fast. He tightened his grip on the hatchet... Alters took a step forward and sang, Long while since I had a curious visitor round my home. Tim's legs felt soft, strangely puny. He shifted his boots, scattering the rich brown soil, and raised the hatchet high. Don't care for that kind of attention. Alters crooned, began clicking his tongue and muttering under his breath. Tim moved to lunge forward to bring the hatchet straight down on the old witch's head. Spotty wouldn't budge. He stood there, frozen. Sharp cramps ran through all his muscles. He wanted to yell out to relieve the pain, but he couldn't even do that. Alters gave a wide grin under his small, pointed nose. His teeth were yellow and sharp. That's better now. Alters came right up to him. He bent down a little and peered at him face to face. Tim tried to close his burning eyes. The lid seemed stuck. The only part of Tim that seemed to move was his heart. He could feel it pounding and hear the blood rushing through his ears. What am I going to do with you? Alter said in a droning voice. Last time someone came up here, I had stew for a week. Fed it to my chickens, too. Made them mean. Gave them a little extra juice for their magic. Tim felt a tear trickle down his right cheek. Halters laughed. Of course, someone might start missing you. Come a-looking for you. You got a family, then. Tim's arm shook. The head of the ratchet rattled on its handle. Oh, you got some will in you, Halters said. He laughed again. 
The rest of the family's like you. I bet they come up one by one. Have stew for me and my chickens for a whole month. Not even magic could hold Tim then. A roar built itself up in the pit of his stomach, charged through his air-starved lungs, and he let it out of his mouth. Tim's arms and legs came to life. He jumped forward and swung the hatchet. Alters gave a sharp cry of his own, one of surprise and fear. The old man was quick. The hatchet just whacked off the top corner of his wide-brimmed hat. The rest of the hat fell off, revealing a bald head speckled with more than a dozen little bumpy horns. The force of the swing carried Tim off of his feet. He tumbled face first next to the throbbing watermelon. Writhing vines brushed up against his shoulders. The hatchet was gone from his hand. As he rolled over, Alters was already standing over him. His wide, dark eyes flashed with anger. Ain't no one going to take a swing at me and live, boy. He sang a hateful song in words from a language Tim didn't know. They hurt his ears. Alters' whole mouth seemed to fill his field of vision. Tim felt his limbs grow sluggish again. He tried not to listen, but the awful words beat along with a pounding of the watermelons and clouded his mind. With all the clarity he had left, he forced his hand to move. It twitched and ached. Tim drove it on, digging into the pocket where the package of sage rested. When Tim's fingers touched the dried leaves that somehow felt warmer. He grabbed hold of them, tearing the paper with his nails. Tim forced the other hand to grab his wrist and help. Together they freed the sage and then shoved it straight into Halter's wide open toothed mouth. Which fell back and gave a sputtering scream. His long fingers scratched at his face and pushed into his mouth, chasing after the green herbs. He cursed and swore and gave garbled sounds that no man should have been able to make. Tim pulled himself to his feet. He knew he didn't have much time. The hatchet was gone, but the body of the chicken lay next to the bowl where Jasper Alters had dropped it. He snatched it up by the cold, firm legs. Blood started trickling out of the headless neck. Good enough, Tim told himself. He reared back and swung it like a club toward the witch's face. Alters looked up at him with the face of a madman. His flashing eyes had all gone white. Blisters clung to his lips and mouth. He dodged to one side. Chicken flew over him and around, spilling a wide swath of red blood over the watermelon behind him. The witch gave a demon shriek. No, not on the plants. The beating of the watermelon turned into a loud groan. Its vine stood up, stark and straight, and it began waving, dancing to the dithering groans of the melon. It, too, began to grunt and roll, growing four feet high right before Tim's eyes. Alters threw up his hands and stuck out his long fingers. The witch chanted in a shouting voice, but Tim could barely hear it over the giant groaning melon. He spotted a hatchet beside one of the other hills, and he snatched it up. Tim turned back to see Alters standing among the waving vines of the monstrous melon. Several of them had settled onto his shoulders, stroking him. Alters walked forward with careful steps, leaned down and kissed the yellow-green rind. The melon sighed. No, Tim said. It's all wrong. None of this is right at all. With which distracted, he raised the hatchet and charged. He drove it deep into the melon. A deafening roar burst out along hot red flesh. They heard the blast as far as Wilkins General Store, back in Milan. Black folk and white alike braved up to the hill to see what had happened. There was a crater, two dead men's bodies lying amid the debris with their clothes shorn. The older ones had seen it time and again during the war between the states. After a few minutes, the sheriff waved his hat to gather the crowd's attention. Well, we can all see what happened here. On a hot day like this, water inside the melon and turn into the boiler of a steam engine. These fellows didn't take the proper precaution when they tried to pop it open. See, there's the hatchet. The crowd murmured. 
One of the deputies was daring enough to say, You sure about that, Sheriff? The Sheriff glared down at him. They took the body of Tim Washington back to his family. Ralph Johnson and Yancey Gates got a wooden coffin and led the younger men in carrying Tim down the hill on their shoulders. Like the fallen hero he was, they knew what he had done for the town. Something no one else had the nerve to do. The body of Jasper Walters was thrown into the cabin along with torches. The whole thing burned for two days and two nights. No one ever said what else they saw inside the cabin when they put him there. It seemed the best policy to the sheriff. He told anyone who would listen, let's not let word get out about this, you hear? Yet it did, as words tend to do. No one in town would put it into print, but they could whisper. Folks left town with the news never to return. After the whispers traveled a hundred miles, fear diluted by the distance, and finally someone was willing. Came sly and short, practically disguised. Two men were killed in West Tennessee the other day by the explosion of a watermelon which they opened with the blow from an axe. A Pulaski citizen... Pulaski, Tennessee, August 23rd, 1888. I hope you enjoyed The Witch Outside Milan by Jeff Provine, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured authors can be found by visiting our website, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash provine. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash P-R-O-V-I-N-E. Collected works, part of the Volume 1 anthology, Sea Serpent Enthusiast, What's Not to Like? Be sure to check out his profile to see what else he might be working on. As a reminder... If you do decide to give tonight's talented author stories a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. Be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure he would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's all of our other podcast episodes featuring twice the terror. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link at the top of the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and you get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. 
Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Chirey. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.